time, they're not actual events. They are symbolic to communicate a principle. Okay, There are some that I would say fall in this overlap, this Venn diagram overlap of they actually happened and Christ is using them as to communicate a point. Right? So, and this kind of contradicts the definition, but I hope the, the, the visual kind of helps. There are some stories that Christ, I believe Christ is recounting something he saw either as a man or knew as God and is communicating them in parable form to, to communicate principle. Now, part of the reason this is important is the definition of a parable and allowing Scripture to define itself is technically the placing of one thing beside another. So you could argue a type is that way, but a type is a reflection forward. It's a foreshadowing where a parable is a comparison or a contrast between two things by its definition. So a likeness or similitude, right? That's the, the contrast or, or, uh, or comparison. But it's also to, to create a doctrine or a precept or, or communicate a doctrine or a precept. So we get, so the example of Passover, the type of Passover that I just talked about, or the type of the baptism in the Red Sea doesn't drive our doctrine. We already have the doctrine of Christ's salvation. We already have the doctrine of baptism, and those types help us, okay? Whereas a parable can actually reflect forward doctrine, okay? And create a position of doctrine. So this is nuanced, and we don't have to solve all of the parables and all of the types today, but these are Bible study principles. Now, Notice here, uh, this last, a narrative, fictitious, but agreeable with the laws and usage of, hi of human life. Okay? Notice this is not Aesop's fables, okay? which are allegories. Again, part of the reason Christians don't like the term allegory, because Aesop's fables, fables are allegories. So if you have this umbrella of all allegories, there's some that can never happen, like a mouse and a lion and a thorn and a turtle and a hare and a race and those types of things where they're talking and communicating. Right? That's, those are completely fictitious. They're still an allegory, but they're a fable. Under the same allegory camp are stories about people, like a guy that sells all of his father's wealth and goes and lives riotously and then eventually has to come home under repentance, right? It's an allegory, but it actually could have happened, right? It's agreeable with what actually could take place. Are you guys tracking? I know this is kind of a lot, but it's, I do think it's important. I do think it's important because parables are stories most likely didn't happen the way they actually said. Most likely this story didn't happen where a guy says to his son, "Go!" but, but I'm, I've got two boys. I'm pretty sure this story happened in our house. Like, it's totally possible for this story to happen, right? Are you with me? Yeah. All right. 
So the next point here is they compare. Parables compare. In Hebrews chapter 9, and, and this is really interesting, the word figure here is the same um, Gre- uh, Greek word as parable. So in the, he- in the Greek Bible... Okay, in Greek manuscripts, in the in the New Testament gospel accounts, it's translated Jesus spake this parable. And in Hebrews chapter nine, it was a figure or a comparison. Okay? So when we think of parable, we think of story. When a Greek when they were recording the early New Testament, they thought of parable as comparing and contrasting. And that's really important. Because Jesus is not just just teaching doctrine or just teaching principles. He's actually comparing. And, and spoiler alert, the comparison here is one of the sons repented of his position and went and did what the father said. The other son said, yeah, I'm in, but didn't and never repented of his position. So Christ is comparing the publicans and sinners as those who were willing to repent and then the Pharisees, scribes, the religious leaders as though who those who were, in theory, all in on God but never repented. Okay? So he's definitely making a comparison and contrast. All right. So we see this in Hebrews 9 and Mark chapter 4. The word parable, the Greek word that would have been translated as parable in other cases, was translated as a figure or compare. So again, we see the, para- or the purpose of a parable is to compare. The next is the purpose of a parable is to conceal. And you say, wait a second, why is Jesus telling a story if he's trying to conceal it? Notice in Matthew chapter 13, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you teaching this way, Jesus? Why are you making these comparisons, if you will? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. So that means there is the ability to understand the parable on the surface, but not allow it to impact you spiritually. So there's an intellectual component. I understand the words. And then there's a spiritual component. What are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with that decision? And I think it's even interesting, in our passage, Jesus says at the beginning, in verse 28... What's the first thing he says? It's the first question. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this question, but what think ye? So this is an intellectual process. Hey, scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, what do you think about what I'm getting ready to say? Well, they answered the question correctly. But he needed to provide the additional color behind why he was communicating that. The Pharisee, or the... Uh, the um, Oh, the the um, sorry, the harlots, and the publicans, and the harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. That had to hurt. <laughs> Why? Because they repented, right? Because they were repentant. So he's concealing something, and he's willing to share that. He's willing to communicate that which is concealed if someone is willing to understand it. 
Okay, We're going to talk about Nicodemus in just a second, but Nicodemus had that interaction. I don't understand what you're saying. Can I go into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Well, no. Here's what I'm trying to communicate. Right, So you, you get a glimpse into that. He also confounds, and this is really where we're going to talk about Nicodemus, but the, the telling of parables will confound the wise. It's really interesting to me that something so simple can be such a big stumbling block or catch an obstacle for so many, quote, intellectuals. Notice in Matthew 13, Therefore I speak to them uh, in parables because seeing they can think, but they see not, they don't comprehend. Hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. Right? To confound it. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. So he was in the business of parable talk. Right? That it might be fulfilled, which was literally prophesied about him, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundations of the world. Literally, he is willing to teach you scripture if you're willing to hear it. It doesn't matter whether you're intellectual or not. It doesn't matter whether you have eyes or ears, so to speak. It's whether you have a willing and receptive heart. It struck me in as Sam was was preaching this morning about you know the the all the other um, flood and genera- uh, Genesis creation accounts that have have propagated their way into history and and how so many scholars today will say well see there's themes throughout people because that means it's made from man man needed this story well no if you sit down and think about the overarching spiritual battle between God and Satan and how Satan is going to try to muddy those waters it makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense that Satan is going to try to replicate into so many different ways and so, but, but with a little twist to make it seem like man generated this story like, like that's not even hard to see that's a, that's a fundamental tenet of war is propaganda and changing the narrative I mean it happened like it's happened in every major conflict that I can think of certainly in the modern era I mean propaganda the, the allies dropped leaders leaflets all over Europe, right. you know? And, and if it wouldn't have been for some of the things, the Germans were starting to do the same thing here. I mean, propaganda is a major tenant of war. So, so Jesus is saying, look, I'll teach you. You just have to be willing to learn. And so many people, and, and, and maybe I'm just going to hop up on a soapbox for just a second, so many people are not willing to peel back a layer of pride and allow someone else to teach them the scripture. Because, like, I know it already. I've, I, and how many testimonies have you seen on the stage of people being baptized or people, you know, telling their testimony, Bible study, any number of cases where I came to this church and I thought I knew the Bible. But now I get it. Like, now I get it. And it's not, look, it's not, it's not because bald guys, incredibly looking, good looking bald guys, stand up and teach you. And don't worry, after, in the future, I'll try to grow some facial hair so I can look more like Sam. I... <laughs> 
I won't do like sci-fi clips in my in my in my messages though. But it is amazing how just the willingness to learn changes everything, and the humility and contrition will change the dynamic. So he also does it to illustrate a future event. Notice in Mark chapter 13, in verse, uh, oh, you know, I didn't finish that point. I apologize. I didn't finish that point. Nicodemus struggled with this concept, right? We talked, we touched on that. Nicodemus was like, I don't understand. Explain it a little more. Not, I don't understand this conversation's over. And so many scholars, so many people who think they know, they're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm done with this conversation. It's like, no, well, let me explain why I actually think this way. Let me, let's take, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more than five minutes. It's probably going to be more than five meetings because it's a lot of information. It's a really big picture. <laughs> if you look at the map on the wall or the timeline on the wall, it's a really big picture. And once you start seeing it in its entirety, it all the pieces fall into place and it makes sense. Nicodemus was having a trouble with, if somebody, if, some, if you had never heard the phrase born again, would your response be, well, do I climb in my mother's womb? No, I mean, he was having a hard time with the concept of a parable. What are you trying to teach here, Jesus? What are you trying to show? And then it happens again. Notice uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He loves undermining man's pride and, and not, in a, not in a nefarious way. Jesus doesn't beat his chest over this. He loves to get under man's pride. And he does that by simple concepts, including parables. So it also, uh, parables can illustrate a future event. This gets into some of that doctrinal implication. And every type breaks down. Every parable eventually breaks down. Meaning you can no longer apply the nth degree of a type. So there's beautiful types. Again, the land. So if you go back to Exodus 12, if I'm not mistaken, Exodus 12 with the Passover. And it starts as a lamb. And then it becomes their lamb. And then it becomes your lamb. Like, wow, <laughs> that's how somebody comes to Christ. He starts out as as Jesus, and then he becomes your Jesus eventually, right? So, like, the types are beautiful. But at the end of the day, I don't kill Jesus. I don't slit his throat, and I don't put the blood on the cross. Like, the type breaks down. The, the Jews, the nation of Israel, had to actually do that function. I contributed to his death. Right, but I didn't physically. So you could see how somebody could take a type and go too far with it, to where now I've got to go slaughter a lamb and somehow turn it into Jesus's blood and put it on the door. Or so, like it, you can take it too far. And the same happens with parables. But notice they can reflect a future event. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, uh, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray about his return. For ye know not when the time is. 
Here comes the parable. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants. You can see the parable, the contrast, the comparison to, okay, the servants are left, Jesus went back to heaven, right? And to, and, uh, to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye, therefore. So he's making a comparison. He's saying, I'm going to come back. So is, does he take a, a doctrinal far journey? Well, I'm not sure I can, I can say that. I mean, Jesus has the ability to go back and forth, or, or at least to heaven and come back. Like, he, you know, he even says, like, I've not ascended to the Father yet. Don't touch me. And then just like he's right there. Like, I wouldn't call that a far journey. So you can apply the parable too far, right? You could, you could then try to dive down and talk about the different servants and every man his work. And so now we have to have specific responsibilities and jobs. And Well, no, you, you're taking the parable too far. His point is, he's leaving. There's stuff to be done here. He's coming back, so watch. Don't overcomplicate it. Can also illustrate accountability. Illustrate accountability. So I won't take the time to read this, but it's the 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 talents, right? That one of the parables of the talents. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his uh, uh, of his servants, and when he reckoned, he forgives the one, right? And then the other one, then the same service went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, a much smaller amount, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, "Pay." thou pay me uh, that thou owest, right? So there's this context or overarching theme in this parable of accountability, that you're a servant of the master in the parable. Quick, quick note, these are not parables. These are not allegories. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Not an allegory. A comparison, a type, but not an allegory. Okay? Same in Matthew 15. And he called the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, that, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth a man. And he's not talking about the difference between, and forgive the, the graphic nature, eating versus vomiting. That's not his point. He's talking about the way you talk the way you carry yourself, the way you act, your countenance, your testimony, right? That's what's going to hold you accountable. So we're not going to, so, so, so our first lesson with 15 minutes left, first lesson, parables about work imply a responsibility. Notice all of these parables, I don't think they're on your, are they on your sheet? Mm-hmm. There, okay, cool. But just notice, this is, a, I would guess, about two-thirds of the parables. Didn't do the math, but about two-thirds of the parables Jesus talked about. And it's not, counting the number of occurrences of them, just the parables, all of these imply some sort of work or effort. The preponderance of parables, say that three times fast, the preponderance of parables, the preponderance of parables, the preponderance of parables, that's as fast as I can go. Most parables imply some responsibility and work that is required in the parable. That is not a coincidence. Even in this parable, he says to his two sons, go work in my vineyard today. Right? I don't think that... Others imply... Some of these and even others apply accountability. Or imply accountability. Like, you're given talents. What are you going to do with that? Maybe you don't have to work, but you have to invest them. 
right? So there's a stewardship component to many of the parables, right? This is a really big thing, big theme in, the, in, in Scripture. So in this parable, the two sons would have benefited from the fruit of the vineyard. So this is not just, hey, go to the neighbor's yard and mow their grass to be nice. This is, go work in my, our vineyard today. So they would have literally gotten the fruit of it that ended up on their table. <laughs> right? They, I mean, they're his sons. They also would have had indirect benefit from this by the fruit of the vineyard being able to be sold so that they could get other food or clothing or shoes or sandals. I don't know. I, I guess they never wore shoes back then. But sandals and those types of things. Right? So there's the implication is that they're partaking in the thing that's going to benefit them. Now, they're not, they shouldn't do it just for their own benefit, but the implication is that if they don't, they're lazy. You, oh, oh, okay, so you like the donuts. I'm going to step on your toes, so you might want to cross your legs, get them up on the chairs. You like the donuts, you like the coffee, you like the bulletins, you like the, all the, your car not getting busted into, but you're not willing to participate. Okay, well now <laughs> we've got a problem because you need to participate. Now, we're all in different places. Some of us, first time, like it's not your job. Like just sit, enjoy, take it in. At some point in time, the Lord's going to show you, I need to jump in. Others of you been around here a long time, you need to find a place. And if you have a place, praise the Lord. Notice in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 9-7, a man planted a vineyard and eateth not. Jesus or Paul is saying, who, like, who plants a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Well, the, again, the implication is the sons are getting the benefit of this vineyard, and I'm going to argue y'all get the benefit of this fellowship, this body. Like, y'all ought to sign up to to bring snack, uh, you know, snacks. Like, y'all ought to take a turn because you, you you enjoy it. Right? Maybe you ought to take a turn working in the cafe every once in a while because you like the coffee. Right? And again, I don't want I'm not trying to be harsh, but it's just like it's a benefit. And notice the two sons would have been required to obey their father, according to Deuteronomy chapter twenty one, a rebellious or stubborn and rebellious son was to be taken to the gate and stoned. Wow, I, we would we would have no children. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, no, like, like. So the way, you know, the way the way Jewish men, it was it was not. Don't make me stop this carriage. It was don't make me take you to the gate. Stone you. <laughs> it was you know. If I have to stop this car, you're dead. Literally. <laughs> And I don't even have to do it. All my friends will do it. So, so literally, he's, he doesn't ask them in the parable that Jesus is telling. The father doesn't say, will you go into my vineyard and work? He says, go and work. There is an expectation. There's an expectation. And notice... That's your next blank. The command was to go and work. Matthew 28, Mark 16. Like we have been told by the one who resurrected 
to go. And yet, some of us don't. Sometimes that doesn't mean changing your zip code. Sometimes it doesn't mean changing your area code. But sometimes it does. Right? You always need to be, and I was sharing this with one of the other pastors, one of the differences about Midtown is the peer pressure and expectation. And I think it's positive. I think it's a positive thing. I've been to too many churches, been part of churches, visited churches, etc., sat, sat in different churches at certain points in time, where the expectation is come, participate, give, so that we can support missions. That is not the expectation here. It is pray, prepare, give, and go. You all should be wrestling with, does the Lord want me to move to Dallas? Does the Lord want me to move to Boston? Does the Lord want me to move to Denver? Does the Lord want me to move to Vietnam? Does the Lord want me to do where the mission is going? You should all wrestle with that. Now, many of us will come to the conclusion, no, I'm not supposed to go. But there were people at some point in time who were wrestling out of this church, and I suspect we still may see some of that, who wrestled with going to Lee Summit, who wrestled with going to Tampa. Certainly some folks have gone to Boston. But we should all wrestle with that. We've been commanded to go. And we've been commanded to labor or work. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him the God, uh, hath God the Father sealed. And they said, so his disciples, his disciples are having this interaction. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on whom? On, on him whom he hath sent. If you really believe in the mission of Christ, you will wrestle with going and laboring. There will come a point when you're sitting in the pew where you think, I should participate. I could do that, whatever that is. Or I could go there, wherever there is. We should all wrestle with that. Now, that doesn't mean you make a foolish decision and just because somebody gets up and sh shows a wonderful slideshow and talks about something that pricks your heart that that means you just go and you sell all your stuff and now you're moving. There's process. There's a process for it, a maturation process. But Jesus in the parable is just using the illustration of go and work where you live, boy. <laughs> and they're not willing to do it. Or at least, I mean, you know how, how it goes. So lesson two. Decisions must drive actions. They must drive actions. So intentions and desire are important, right? The first son, or, well, I, I get them backwards. The first son repents and goes, right? Um, I've looked at it too many times. The first son says he wouldn't, he would not go, but he repented and went. The second son said he would go, but didn't. So intentions and desire are important, Right? The second son says, I'll go. As soon as I'm done watching this video and checking my feed, I will go. <laughs> Seems like what we deal with. Like, we're waiting. We're ready to go to church. <laughs> we're ready to leave. Like, just a minute. One more video. No. <laughs> Intentions and desires are important. 
the Lord, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which comes after, after chapter 3, and that will be important in a second. 1 Corinthians 4, The Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. So the Lord is going to bring out what your desire and why you do. This gets to what I was talking about last week. Like, don't just show up here to work. Like, we could hire that out. <laughs> like, if that's the only time you show up is to do the thing you do, that's not good. Like, you need to be here for the preaching and the teaching. He will bring the counsels of the heart out. Why are you doing it? But notice this is predicated, or follows rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. Talking about the judgment seat. Notice, and I've heard this mistaught multiple times, that the judgment seat of Christ, our works go through the fire. I've heard it actually taught that our intentions will go through the fire. They will burn up. Your intentions do not make it. Only the works will be made manifest. So you can say, Father, I will go, but not go. You can have the intention to go, but not execute. That ain't going to pass muster. You need the, the drive behind it. And that's why I put intentions and desire alone won't endure. Okay? They, they will get burned up. They won't, I, I would argue they don't even make it onto the table, the exam table. But they will not pass muster. And it brings us to our last point. And you all have been, been doing a great job listening fast so I can catch up. Repentance is critical to the kingdom of God. And that's really what this parable is about. One said he would go, but didn't. One said he wouldn't, but repented. Repentance is kind of a big deal. Repentance is a really big deal to God. It's, repentance is a sorrow or deep contrition for sin or your state, in this case, the non-obedience, right? The rebellion of not serving, accompanied, uh, accompanied uh, and followed by a change in your life. Now, here's the deal. I think I referenced this when I preached. I'm not a big, like, repent person. Like, when I share the gospel with people, I don't say, you need to repent. Because that's not, it just generally doesn't land well with me. Now, I believe it. I believe they need to repent. But I'm not going to leave, there's just some stigma to it. and that like. So I'm not going to back down from the concept of needing to change your life. I'm not leading, personally, I'm not leading with that concept. I'm leading with, hey, you're a sinner and somebody has paid for that sin. Like, you have this amazing gift laying out there that if you just take it, your life will be different. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you'll want to change. <laughs> like, I mean, how many times... I, I remember... I literally remember sharing the gospel to a guy in college who was holding a beer. <laughs> and I'm not making a judgment on whether drinking is a sin or not. But it certainly was a problem for him at that point. And he's like, I can't believe we're having this conversation and I'm drinking. You know? I mean, he knew at that point that God had probably called him to repentance, had probably called him to a change. I mean, honestly, he was a drunkard. I mean, I, and he was underage, so that alone was, uh, you know, it was a sin, right? But 
God, was, God clearly had been convicting him and he couldn't, he couldn't wrap his mind around the expectation of what Christ was calling him to because of what he had to give up. As compared to being willing to throw those things off as you cr- approach the cross, right? Or the Christ. Notice in Luke 5, 13, or 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Acts 17.30 In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commanded, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He's going to give you some grace. He's going to give you some latitude. But when he calls the question, he's going to ask you to repent. He's going to ask you to change the way you've been doing things. And notice in 2, Timothy, or 2 Peter chapter 3, it's beautiful. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That literally, he, part of His desire is not just that we get saved, it's that we leave the stuff behind that is not godly. That's literally part of the benefit. And so I'll just conclude with, what think ye? (laughs) That's how he started, that's how Jesus started the parable. What think ye? Are 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 you willing to look Christ in the face who said, go today and work in my vineyard? Now if you're like, I can't right now, but subsequently do, Wow, what a blessing. Do not say to him, yeah, I'm all in, and then don't show up. And so as you are confronted with different opportunities, ministry opportunities, service opportunities, mission opportunities, out of this church, do not sign yourself up and then fail to to come through. Say, Lord, is this the thing? Is this what you're calling me to do, to be a part of, to participate in? Because if he is, he will make it known. And, and I hate to say this, but the pieces will fall into place. Like, the schedule will work out. The things that you, that you see as obstacles, they'll, just, they'll, they'll fade away. Like, whatever it is that he's called you to, he will allow it to come to pass. He will allow you to participate if you just are willing. Let's pray.